Grab your dowsing rods and print your own currency. You're listening to Polygonometry. This is a thing where I sit down with a member of my family and uh, we talk about what it's like growing up in polygamy. And guys, questions, comments, concerns, you guys know what to do. Hit me up on Facebook. Hit me up on Instagram. Hit me up on Gmail. Hit me up with your uh, um, with your uh, text messages. Uh, hit me up with getting the vaccine and talking to Bill Gates. I'd talk to him all the time. I'm vaccinated. What? Me and Bill, me and Bill, dude, me and Bill are talking every day. Okay. We're talking every day uh, telepathically. And he told me, Hey, the autism is going to set in any day now. Just wait. It's going to happen. And you're going to be magnetized while it happens too, which is going to be cool. Cause you're never going to lose your keys again. <laughs> This week's episode is going to be a great one, guys, because I found someone who's not a member of my family to be on the show yet again. And that's not without trying. Uh, you'll hear in the episode, I had to call my mom to see if I'm related to this person or not. Um, she is great. Her name is Sarah, and she is absolutely wonderful. Uh, she is at the helm of the Mormon True Crime and History Instagram page. And if you are listening and you're like, I want to learn more about Mormonism, but not from Mormons. Um, then you need to follow her. Uh, she does a lot of really interesting work. Uh, I reached out to her on Instagram and I said, hey, I like what you're doing. I like your I like your stuff. Would you mind being a, a guest on my podcast? And she said, yes, we coordinated. We got it done, guys. We got it done and she was awesome. You're gonna hear a lot of different stuff and you're gonna hear something that's kind of interesting about Joseph Smith Sr. And you're also gonna hear something pretty interesting about William Cowdery, AKA Oliver Cowdery's dad. Okay, and you're going to hear about all these interesting correlations between uh, the plates and another type of plate that was around during that time and all that stuff. It's going to be pretty cool, guys. I hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, <laughs> get a vaccine, dude. Ligonometry. You grew up in the church, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Okay. Ninth generation, like brainwashed in the bag, should have been like still you know it should be in it now and i'm not but i was i was very hardcore very hardcore so grew up in it when did you when did you decide to leave so my faith started kind of crumbling really when born and be hinkley was on larry king live i was 12 years old and he was blatantly lying to the world about polygamy and at the time i was like Either the prophet doesn't know the history as well as I do, and I'm a 12-year-old girl without the priesthood, or he's purposely lying. So that was really big for me because I was like, wow, you know, but I had seen things. At that point, I was such a history nerd. I was already reading, like, the Journal of Discourses and mm -hmm. the history of the church, and the things that I was reading were not what we were told. The pacifist, you know, Joseph, so peaceful, like, that's not what I was finding. And so I would ask about it like any kid would, you know, because you're like, whoa, what's this about? I'd get in a lot of trouble for it, which they would actually call me a liar. And I'd be like, this came from my mother's. Yeah. Like, I'd be like, this is from my mother's Mormon books. So they, well, they would call you a liar because you were just like talking about what specifically? Um, like when I was talking about Joseph Smith, how many times he admits assaulting people who disagree with him, like, Oh, religion and yeah. Like yep. And 
instead of being like, hey, Sarah, history is not pretty and, you know, that shouldn't happen, which is really what I was looking for, just confirmation, like, that's pretty messed up. Instead, it was, you know, my parents, the bishop, really, the teachers, like young women, you're a liar, you're reading anti-woman stuff. And I was like, this is written by the church, published by the church. Like, how is that anti-Mormon? So that was really weird and confusing for me. And then after that, I just, the stuff I found, you know, once you know the history, you have to accept that either the current church and the hierarchy in Salt Lake City is deliberately lying to its members. Mm Mm-hmm. Or Joseph Smith wasn't a real prophet. So you know, it's one of those logical fallacies where I mean, either it's either it's Tuesday or it's not. You know, yeah. and there's I mean, the 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 details definitely get murky, especially when it happens. You know, in such you know distant past, not so distant, but it's recorded. You know, and when people like willfully ignore the details and I mean like what you were saying about how they just completely like totally blasted you for you know quote unquote lying about what Joseph Smith was saying and doing and it's like no these are in, these are published yeah. <laughs> like why, why like you like why are you choosing to ignore your church's own publications just because it doesn't fit your own narrative I, I find that to be really interesting and it's really terrifying to see like I recently read my mom my family's still a lot of them are still Mormon so I recently saw the church magazine, you know, there's like this little, I think it was a month ago, it was like Q&A and it was like, my husband's faith is dying because he's following the history. And the church literally wrote in the magazine, like, we do not encourage our members to know the history. And I was like, Wait, Whoa. hold on. Say, what? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, I swear. Like, and I was like, So wow. where, where was this written in? Just out of it curiosity. Where was this published? It was one of the church magazines. I actually have it on my phone because I posted about it because I was like, well, that's very insightful. Yeah. Wow. That is very tough to hear. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy. The things, you know, that when you're sitting there and you're like, how much time and money do these people give to the church? And they're not supposed to know, like, the original words of people you know these are books published by the church so that's what's so crazy it's not like they're out reading somebody who's like i'm glad joseph's dead you know what i mean like yeah these are are church publications so of all the of all the institutions that would be painting the church in a positive light it would be the church but when the church publishes something that says hey maybe we shouldn't uh let people not so much let but maybe we shouldn't encourage people to you know dig a little bit deeper on what happened back in the 1800s and that is a huge warning sign (laughs) it's somewhere on my site i was trying to find it but i can't i know it was a church magazine um because i was like so we can we can do a shameless plug for your instagram if you want get that out of the way right at the beginning Oh yeah, go ahead. So I I got turned on to your um to your Instagram page, which is Mormon True Crime and History. Correct? Do I have that right? Awesome. So for any of those who are listening at home, uh, definitely check Sarah out. Um, and I got turned on to your your uh, social media from my older sister actually. Um, this is post podcast, so like I started the podcast and things started to get rolling a little bit, and um. 
my sister and I were just kind of like shooting some texts and screenshots back and forth of like funny memes that people have made and, and, and everything, you know, and, uh, then your page came up and we were kind of just like sitting there, like scrolling through your stuff and like reading all of the stuff that you've done. And I, I am so blown away at the level of detail that you've put into like making sure that you're fleshing out the entire situation instead of just like posting, like, you know, the, the clickbaity type of idea where you really you know, you, you're, you're posting like quotes from quorum of the 70, you know, and, you know, first presidency folks and, and everything. And instead of, you know, making a blanket judgment on what you think it is, it's like, no, here's the whole thing, read it all, then make your decision. Yeah. I've already made mine and it doesn't seem like it's that great. So congrats to you. I mean, I'm so, I'm so blown away and I'm very, very impressed by what you're doing. So yeah, kudos. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I, I felt like I, um, about last year, I was actually really terrified to even do it, but I was like, I love Mormon history even now. I just think it's like better than reality TV. You know, like it's so juicy. There's like everything <laughs> in it. So I'm like a little addicted to it, but I'm like, I don't have anyone to talk to about it. So I, I felt like, man, I'm hoarding all these secrets and all this history and I need to get an outlet for it. So I really And you that. have Instagram, you know? <laughs> Thank Allah for uh, social media. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome that you've been able to find a, a way to kind of let that out, you know, and mm -hmm. let the energy out in some in some way, shape or form. Um, and that's I mean, social media is kind of the devil itself almost most of the time. But it's nice to have, you know, a way that you can kind of say your piece. And did that kind of start like during quarantine? It was, I think, right before quarantine, but I was really grateful for it at the time because it gave me a distraction, you know, and I don't, I grew up pretty, I'd say even like more Mormon, like, like conservative Mormon than okay. a lot now. So we didn't watch a lot of TV. Like I've never even seen like Saved with the Bell or anything like that. Like people talk about it. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so for me, books are my thing. And so I, it was nice to have an outlet. Like I could still kind of get on every now and then and and post about it and i didn't really know how people were going to take it but it's been interesting to see how many people dm me and just like thank me for you know putting it out there and a lot of them will confide in uh, about like their own abuse in the church things that they suffer oh wow okay so, so you're 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 it sounds like your content is or if you can call it your content um but what you're doing is seeming to to kind of resonate with folks who have been through a just a total fucking horrible experience. Yeah. Wow. And I didn't like know how people would take it, but when I get those kind of messages, I'm always grateful because I'm like, you know what, this is why I'm doing it. Like I'm, I've had people say like, I've never told someone this before, not even a therapist and they'll like open up and I'm like, I'm glad that they find like a safe place and they know that I'm not going to, you know, like run with their trauma. Like some people, you know, in the church growing up, people would always gossip about each other. And I was always like, this is so toxic. Yeah. And so it just makes me feel good, you know. Did you ever see the um the anti-gossip campaign that the church did? No. It was a commercial that I saw. Uh, I don't know if it was a commercial, but it was like a little you know when the when the Sunday school teacher didn't want to actually teach a lesson, they would like bring in the TV and they would play like living scriptures or something like that, right? Um but I saw it this was when I was investigating the church when I was a teenager. Um, but it had like this hand that was in the frame and then another hand came in and it had like this giant fistful of like black tar 
and then it just like slapped into the other hand and then and then that other hand where you could sell, you could tell would just go to another hand and like slap this nasty gross black slime stuff and then at the end it was like gossip don't gossip it's just grosser so whatever i can't remember what the tagline was but i was like oh cool powerful imagery but i and i'm and i know that you are in the same boat but i have never once encountered anybody that loves gossip more than mormons (laughs) it is just the juiciest like what you're talking about like it's better than reality tv it's it's so great because they just i mean they can't get enough of it it seems you know it's very fascinating when i was growing up i was actually really alarmed by because i was like is this all you guys do is like put each other down and step on each other's necks to make yourself feel like you have words like that's not healthy no it's definitely not they do it a lot and it's it's so bizarre i i can't tell you how many people have told me things that they were told inside of you know confidential meetings or whatever about people and their wards and i'm like oh my gosh that's terrible yeah i mean that's a serious betrayal of trust Exactly. And it's supposed to be oh. and they're like gossiping about it. Like it's. And it's really yeah. weird too. Like, I mean, I've, I've talked about this a little bit before on a previous episode. It's, it's ringing a bell. Um, but talking about how like in various wards throughout the country, the bishop is kind of like the, the in-house therapist for a lot of folks, yes. counselor oh, yeah. and that kind of thing. But they're not licensed. No. And they're not trained in yeah. like mental health counseling at all. And coming from someone who works as a mental health counselor, like that's sub, that is so unethical. It is so yeah. unethical. Like in the in the grand scheme of practice, it's like someone saying like, oh no, I, I took, you know, Boy Scout first aid, you know, but oh, okay, you're a doctor now. That's the same level in my brain when you think I about it. I would say it's even worse than that because even when you go to a therapist, you don't believe that therapist is talking to God and you have to obey them. You know what I mean? Like a lot of Mormons really believe that. And so that's a very powerful statement. Yeah. Yeah. Like they really believe like I don't have the right to think against what the bishop says. So it's, it's so toxic. And I knew people like um, children of bishops and I can tell you they are messed up people. So it's like, you're taking advice from someone who's serious hypocrite at the very least, you know, he's criticizing you for an affair, but he's guilty of, like it's it's crazy yeah that's so tough so you you mentioned that you were ninth generation lds Mm -hmm. ninth generation let's let's roll the genealogy back i'm I'm curious so you so where does your family and and your affiliation with the church start so the james allred was joseph smith's um aide de camp resilience camp the allreds are my ancestors um martin carroll was his son he joined, I think, in 1832 in Kirtland. Okay. Um, but the, if you want to know about the fascinating thing about the Allreds, you got to go like a little bit further back because the Allreds in North Carolina were associated with John Hines in a revolution company called the Light Horse Company. The Light um, Horse Company? Yeah, it, or Calvary or whatever it's called. I don't, I don't know the exact name, but it's, okay. there was only like 15 people. One of them was a Whitlock. The Whitlocks were the in-laws. Um, Andrew Whitlock married into James Allred's family. Okay. Um, the Whitlocks end up being involved with Benjamin Woodward, who was an engraver. Uh, he got caught with one of the Whitlocks in North Carolina engraving. But John Hines has a connection to the grandfather of 
organized crime in America, who was Philip Alston. Philip Alston. Yeah, he ended up. I'm going to Google the name really quick. Oh, yeah, it's I think you'll like it. Philip came from like a really wealthy family. Um, A lot of counterfeiting involves first families because of the the corruption, really. They they need their backs covered, but also because the printing presses to counterfeit, it costs a lot of money. So you have to have someone really wealthy. Okay. Um, He ended up being involved with um, an attempt to have, basically they took over a Spanish fort and invaded Spanish territory. And then Hines ends up fleeing back to Tennessee at the same time with Alston. So Alston kind of makes like room for Stephen Burroughs, who's Joseph Smith's family was involved with Burroughs. He was really the king of counterfeiting. He took it to like the next level. But Alston is the one who really started to connect these gangs and really like network everything brilliantly. He's very mysterious person there's not like a whole lot about alston but it's, Philip it's alston very north carolina is this the right am i am i in yeah. the right area yeah philip alston counterfeiter okay mm-hmm. uh yeah. all right so alston i think you might like this information alston was a part of a group that started teaching things that the mormons later adopted so for example wait really um, yes oh cool <laughs> Quite a few things. Um, so Alston was a part of a group that taught to use religion as a cover. Peddlers at the time were notorious for pushing and shoving the bills into circulation. They were like the lower uh, people of the gangs. And Joseph Smith's father was caught like three times, I think in as many years, pushing bills into society. But you got to think of it like this because it's kind of like how many times does a drug dealer do a drug deal before he actually gets caught and charged quite a lot. Yeah. So yeah, it takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing it more than three times. And the interesting thing about the Smiths is that later on, I began looking into, you know, tracking, stalking dead people is kind of what I call it. I joke about that, um, into the Smiths. And he is going up from 1820. There are records for the St. Lawrence river company, uh, steamboat company, sorry. Um, He's going up onto these boats to a place called Three Rivers, which is where Stephen Burroughs had his little kingdom of counterfeiting. That's where you go up and get the bills. He's going up there numerous times every year. And then he's taking ships to um, New York City, Boston. These are both really big counterfeiting network places where you already had an established gang. You would have people run the bills down there and drop them off to tavern keepers or merchants who would then you know push them into society so basically he was basically smuggling yeah smuggling counterfeit bills yeah so counterfeit bills were really the cocaine of the 19th century for organized crime it is the number one profit making scheme at the time for organized crime yeah so the secret service was actually founded in 1865 and it had one purpose at the time and that was to break apart the networks of counterfeiters because it had gotten so bad that it was really threatening the u.s economy completely it was yeah sounds like it holy cow that's so crazy i know so yeah alston um he was connected to the all reds and the interesting thing about all reds is 
I kept noticing like before. I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt you, but you said the crazy thing about all reds, and there are oh, so many people who listen to this show that are all reds. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry. Oh no, 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 no. My don't great even. Was an all red too, so no, I'm you're all you're part all red. You're part of the family. Yeah. There you go. You're in. But they their history is like fascinating, crazy. Okay, I mean, so like the crazy, crazy thing about all reds. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, so. Sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, um, no, I derailed your train. That's my fault. So you were talking about Philip Alston and his connection to the All Reds, and then you said the crazy thing about All Reds in the in North Carolina, and then I and then I paused you. Oh, one of the things I noticed was they every two years or, you know, 16 months or whenever they're having a child, they're in a different state. And I was like, talking to my brother years ago, I'm like, what's going on? This is before I learned about the organized crime stuff. I'm like, why are they moving all the time? Like North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina again. Like they're going back and forth. And he's like, well, I don't know, maybe they're poor. And I'm like, yeah, but if you're poor, it's cheaper to move to another county, not to another state. Yeah. So one of the things you see with organized crime is that when it gets too hot um, and they're getting in trouble, they flee and then they like collect again somewhere else. And so, by And by too hot, you mean like, they call it too hot. It means like there's too much attention, too much focus. Okay. Yeah. Basically, the walls are closing in around them. They need to boost. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So they they basically will take off and flee, and then they'll reconnect. And I noticed with Joseph Smith's dad when I started following his census, you know, where he's going, I started noticing the same names uh, like that were reappearing, and I'm like, this is kind of weird. Like, are these people all friends? But it's part of this whole network thing that they do. Um, he was a part of something called Wood Scrape with Oliver Cowdery's dad before they were born, that Joseph Jr., JJ, I sometimes call him JJ. Um, they were part of Wood Scrape. It was a radical religious group that was a cover for counterfeiting. So, so it's called Wood, Wood Scrape? Yeah, Wood Scrape, Vermont. They, it was in Vermont. So they were doing like revelations coming through the rods, like, um, dowsing rods the original oh yeah <laughs> ENC, there's a verse one of the first ones in the first chapters about all of the cadre getting the gifts of the ironic priesthood it actually originally said the gift of the rod the gift of a rod tied to the treasure digging counterfeiting those things are linked to oh look at this okay so um again i don't want to interrupt uh go for it um but just doing a quick google search something that i like doing um just when i'm sitting down and chatting with people is just to kind of give a little bit of like an easier way for people to find this information instead of just like taking what we hear and just take it for what it's worth um so this is basically me like quote unquote, fact checking my guest, even though I know you've already done the research and you you have a lot more uh, background in this than I do. But basically, I just typed in um, wood scrape Vermont and it came up with this page on Wikipedia called uh, the New Israelites. I'm sure that rings a bell. Um, possible connection to Mormonism. Uh, members of the New Israelites may have included Joseph Smith Sr., the father of the Mormon prophet and William Cowdery, father of Book of Mormon witness Oliver Cowdery. So yeah, this is a series. This is not just like Sarah <laughs> just Possibly. spouting off on this crazy tinfoil hat tragedy, you know. Um, but yeah, that's so awesome in a way that's like, oh, cool little tidbit, juicy, you know, fun little thing about history. That's uh, so cool. Yeah, I I was blown away when I read um, Quinn's book, uh, Early Mormonism and the 
Magic Worldview, I think that's what it's called. And I that's where I first heard about it. And I was like, whoa, what? Like, what is this? They also had, you know, they called themselves destroying angels. They said that everybody was going to get wiped out if they didn't join their little cult. The militia got called out because they were really violent and aggressive. So, you know, there's some parallels there. Here it is. You just barely said that the destroying angels um, and uh, the fraternity of rodsmen. Yep. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. So it's Practice interesting to like, realize at the time, treasure digging was illegal. So even if you want to believe that, you know, the Smith family was really good and all these things, at the very least, you have to accept that he was being groomed from a very young age by his father to be participating in a criminal activity. It was illegal at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, just giving this quick little snippet of a snap or a, yeah, a little snapshot of the past with Joseph Smith senior and Oliver Cowdery's father, it's William Cowdery, right? Um, just kind of like showing that and showcasing that a little bit is just, it's really, really interesting to see and hear, uh, just how quickly you can draw that bridge between like what they were doing with like treasure hunting and, you know, dowsing rods and divination and, and all this different stuff. And then the origin story of the LDS church with, I saw yeah. angels and he has this, you know, there's this box in the ground and it has this sword and the Leahona and these, you know, plates of gold and, and everything. And when you think about like the type of people that were in, you know, upstate New York in the 1820s and thirties, like that to them is like, Oh, that's cool. You know, it's like the whole snake oil salesman kind of idea too. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people who are in denial about how like stupid people were back then, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's interesting too. New York was like the state for counterfeiting because the bills were coming from Canada. So it's right there on the border. One okay. thing that the counterfeiting gangs would do that the Smiths do is they will always put their, their main hot place, like hot spot right on a border that has like murky or legal jurisdiction that ends so that anytime like someone comes with a warrant they flee to the other side so for example Kirtland is right on one of the great lakes and half the lake was divided and that's canada so you can jump on a boat get across there no one can follow then you've got missouri that's literally at the time the wild west and the border is right there that goes into indigenous lands so that's out of jurisdiction nauvoo the river separated iowa so the warrants if you just jump on a boat and cross over they can't follow you they it took a lot joseph had a lot of attempts from missouri to expedite him but it involved having to get permission from you know certain politicians like the governor and a lot of times they had their own political agendas and they you know wouldn't agree totally so. totally wow but so another thing that it, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I was going to, I was going to try to circle back to like the all red part. Um, oh yeah. If, if you want to keep going down this, this tangent, I'm following you. I'm just making sure that I got all my, all my, uh, you know, rods in the fire, so to speak. So. Well, do you want me to tell you like the similarities between counterfeiting and the Mormon church? And then let's do it. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, Besides the fact that Joseph's always bribing people to get out of trouble, like with the sheriffs, you know, he escapes. Mormon church always told us that he, the charges just didn't stick, but that's actually not true. He was 
fleeing constantly. They admit bribing sheriffs sometimes when they're changing jurisdiction. That also was a scheme that the counterfeiting games would get the um, trial changed a different venue and then they could escape during that transfer that happens with Smith. Um, so besides the fact that you had to have a printer and Oliver Cowdery's brother was a printer, there's also um, that regulators were created to kill off criminals who were just untouchable. The gangs would actually commit perjury and have their members lie and give false alibis. So James Allred, for example, he gets caught in Missouri, which at the time he was living in Nauvoo. And I was like, why would he go back to Missouri when I was still kind of oblivious to everything? He was a part of something called the Fur Company. Joseph chose him. The Fur Company literally is just a theft company. They were going back and, and robbing Missourians. So he got caught with some other people. He gets tied to a tree. He gets whipped. Mormons will still talk about how this was, you know, religious persecution. This was actually very common, what the regulators would do. They would whip people. He actually avoided the whipping. The other people with him got whipped. He was, because he was old, he didn't get whipped. They did get tied to the tree. Um, and this is James they, Allred, you're saying? Yeah, this is my okay. ancestor, James Allred. Okay. So he, this, this story that I heard people and I've seen online about, oh, he was attacked and, you know, tied to a tree because of religious persecution. No, he was tied to a tree because he got caught stealing and they knew with the Mormon schemes that nobody could be held accountable for their crimes. Because if you had five witnesses saying, no, that is that dude's horse, they'd get 10 Mormons to say, no, this is this man's horse. So the regulators, it wasn't just against Mormons, it was against organized crime in general. And they would go and basically form their own little gang and go and kill the outlaws or chase them out. But there are accounts of people with blackened faces going and killing um, people, which you know happened to Joseph later on. They so they they would wear blackface and go kill people. Yeah, like sometimes they would <laughs> use gunpowder. That's what happened with Joseph Smith, right, at Carthage Jail. And here's a really fascinating thing. I can't remember which Allred it was. I think it was Wiley Payne. But in one of his, you know, pro Mormon faith inspiring. Uh, autobiography accounts that I have at my house, he admits this little slip up where he says that he saw Joseph fall out of the window of Carthage jail. And I was like, nobody was there except the people in the mob and the guards. So what are you saying? Yeah. Like, really weird to see that. I was like, mm, I don't know how I feel about that. So, but. so it sounds like your ancestor was part of the mob that killed Joseph. I don't know. I, my okay. pain was, um, his son, but I like I have no idea because I'm like this is really weird. Like, why would a Mormon be saying that they were there and saw him fall out and die? Like, yeah, you know, I was like that's kind of a weird thing to admit. I don't think, and it's not like he goes into detail. It's like he just states it and then moves on to his pro Mormon, pro Brigham Young account. And I was like, oh, oh this weird. This is a little sketchy. I don't know how. Like, I have no idea what to think about it. And maybe he's just BSing because a lot of times, you know. A lot of Mormon accounts, they're just sometimes very exaggerated. You got to take it with a grain of salt, but maybe he was there. I know that I read about, I think his name's William Voorhees. He was a Mormon. The Mormons say he was like one of the most anti-Mormon in the mob. He was actually Mormon. His family was Mormon, but his sister, uh, there were rumors that his sister had been seduced by Joseph Smith. 
And Joseph did marry her to her husband, which is a common theme you see later on with, you know, Joseph is sleeping with somebody. He married you know, it's, somebody. it's one of those things that like, Joseph comes around and you don't know who's going to get seduced, you know, yeah. like it doesn't matter who 14 years old adopted daughter doesn't matter. Yeah. Everyone's available to Joe. <laughs> That's a counterfeiting thing though, too. Bigamy and polygamy was like, it was notoriously attached to these people, counterfeiters. Joseph Smith senior, actually, there was a judge who said that he had seduced a married woman after he was married to Lucy, ran her up to eloped with her in Canada took her fortune and then abandoned her there, which that is something you see later on in Mormon accounts um, in the UK that the missionaries were going there saying that they weren't married, marrying women and then bringing them back and they'd find out in Utah that they actually- So they would, they would basically coerce people into in polygamy or into polygamy. Yeah. yeah. Whoa, then, that's not cool. <laughs> it's, it's shocking how many accounts I've seen of that. It's heartbreaking too, because these girls, a lot of them get here have no family here it's a thousand miles away from this you know that's a, and it's across the ocean yep yeah and they're all alone so it's like they're totally deceived in every way oh my god and their fortune is gone because they're polygamous husband spent it all yeah it's pretty wow bad. you you hit on so many various interesting little concepts and one of them that i that i thought of was like the idea that, um that the church kind of like took Okay, so the idea between, you know, getting whipped for religious persecution versus just, you know, trail justice. Yeah. Um, and how the church basically took that and he's like, oh, no, he wrought, like what, it sounds like what actually happened was the guy was, you know, stealing property. Yeah, he got caught with the property in a cave. The, the, all the Mormons that were stealing with him got caught. It was in, I found a newspaper article about it. I'm like, oh my gosh. But what Joseph did was as soon as I got back to Nauvoo, he had them go swear out legal statements saying that they were um, abducted and kidnapped and held against their will and attacked because of religious persecution. So this is why I see these accounts talking about James Allred online. People are still talking about that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not what it was. Yeah. And so the, the, the you know, very intentional catering of the facts to make yep. sure that people understand that, you know, <laughs> It's not what actually happened. What actually happened was, you know, he was, you know, uh, feeling the spirit of God and he was such a holy man that people weren't willing to hear the truth and da 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 da, da. Exactly. And, and then now when I hear any religious institution, whether it's, you know, the Catholic Church or, or Mormonism or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. Then they start like pumping out like these ideas of, you know, the same kind of thing where it's like, oh, they're being you know persecuted because of their beliefs and stuff like that. It's like, I don't think that's actually true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The craziest thing that I found out that really shocked me after I left the church and I, I had never heard this when I was a Mormon. So I actually found this going through my, you know, family's records on the all reds. I had no idea that Hans Mill was a retaliation strike. I had no idea. Really? Yeah, I had never heard. Dang. And my ancestors participated. They were arrested with Joseph Smith. Martin Carroll was, his father was, James was. So I'm reading their records and I'm reading about one of the nephews saying that James Allred had dragged in a dismantled mill and the nephew was a teenager. He's angry at the time because he wants to be a part of what they're doing and he's watching the whole sky 
in Missouri from his porch light up with the fire of all these burning houses. And he's talking about how he, he loved it. He could feel the spirit and he, you know, wanted to be a part of this. And I'm like, what is he talking about? And you're like, no, I had no idea. No idea that the Mormons burnt down two towns after plundering all the buildings and houses. No idea that they burnt down a hundred Christian, over a hundred Christian neighbors' houses at, you know, at gunpoint surrounded them, kicked them out in the middle of the night stole all their goods and burnt them down and plundered all that stuff. I had no idea. But Governor yeah. but Governor Boggs is evil, though. Yeah, you know? yeah. Governor Boggs is evil because he didn't like Mormons. And Rockwell didn't shoot him, right? Nope, nope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. It's so weird to think of, like, all the things that we grew up believing and then you just do, and you don't have to do like this crazy, like Nicolas Cage national treasure level, like attempt to find this information. It's, yeah. it's there. It's easily available. And all you yeah. have to do is just jump in. Like it's a few Google, you know, searches and a few clicks away. And then all of a sudden you're finding out this information about Hans Mill or Mountain Meadows or whatever it is. And you're just like, wait a second. Why weren't, why wasn't this told to us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in Hong's Mill, it's always, you know, the story that we were told was that it was, you know, religious persecution. The Mormons were just peaceful, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, is that Hong's Mill at the time, Joseph used it as an example of these people didn't obey me and that's why they died. And now it's turned into this that's... persecution story when in the beginning, Joseph was really manipulative about it. Yeah. It was, oh, if they had listened to me, you know, they wouldn't do what I wanted. Wait a second. So, Joseph Smith was manipulative. Oh, no, that's no, no, no. in. That doesn't make sense. That's not true. You're bla you're you're speaking that. blasphemy right now, and I don't appreciate it on my podcast. I know. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> I'll do better. He was a peaceful pilgrim. Yeah, totally. So you you ha your ancestor is James. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to basically Joseph dies, um, and you know where where does the your family history come in at that point? So James was actually the person who brought home uh, Apostle Taylor after the shooting. Okay. He went to get him from the jail and they then were given Joseph Smith's sword, um, which oddly enough showed up, I think in Scipio or something. I think it was an Allred actually who kept it and had it in Scipio. So then the, the Allreds end up getting involved in counterfeiting at the time Brigham Young was fleeing the counterfeiting charges that he had. He had been indicted with a lot of the apostles in Nauvoo. So they flee to Iowa and he sends people back to Missouri to, you know, like earn money or whatever, but the Allreds, Isaac Allred. So there's James, Isaac, and William. I should probably explain that. They were brothers. Okay. William was a part of 1838 as well. So was Isaac, um, the attack in 1838. William, it's very interesting because he actually sided with the Pratts. I've seen a letter he wrote someone, I think it was, um, is it Dr. Bennett? Is that who wrote the book about Joseph Smith seducing the women? The expose? I, I think, yeah, I would have to double check. I'm a little murky um, on my details. So he wrote a letter saying that he knew that the Pratts were telling the truth and he was going to stand by them. He ends up being a bishop and he's leaving Nauvoo and he gets murdered on the side of the road. Of course, the claim is anti-Mormons did it. But one thing that I noticed with Mormons is that when it's an anti-Mormon story, they use it for faith propaganda. When it's not, 
it's a wall of silence, which you also see with organized crimes. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. They're not. They're not giving. They're not fessing up. No way. Yeah. So it's interesting because even now, if you were to search William Allred, you'll see people claiming he's buried in a specific cemetery, but that cemetery wasn't even built until the 21st century, and nobody knows where his body is. It is an unmarked grave. Nobody knows. There's no record I've ever found saying. And it's like he disappears completely, like his family never speaks of him again. Martin Carroll's the same way I've heard and seen records saying he was buried in two totally different states. It's like totally mystery what really happened to these people. I don't really, you know, Martin is said to have been sick, but the truth is there's no, like, that's it. That's all I know is that he supposedly got sick. I don't actually know anything else except that he was a Danite and the Danite oaths, you know, were that bad things are going to happen to you if you tell certain things. So. so the Danites, I haven't done a lot of digging into the Danites specifically. Do you mind giving me an elevator pitch of like what the Danites are all about? Yeah, it's interesting because the counterfeiting connection, there's a counterfeiting manifesto constitution I found, which is oddly similar to the Danite um, constitution. So basically the Danites were basically like a organized gang group of assassins. They they would harass people. So the Danites went and kicked out um, the Whitmers and Oliver Cowdery at gunpoint. They would um, also go and force like a justice of peace, Adam Black to sign at gunpoint, like a statement saying that I will never come after Joseph Smith with warrants or anything like this. Um, really, really aggressive, illegal activities. And a lot of Danites, when I was tracking the Danites from the Nauvoo period and the Zurich period, a lot of them end up getting uh, disappearing from history, never to be on the census again, or killed by Indians. So this is the statement I see all the time is they blame the indigenous people for murders. But it's interesting because when they're in Missouri and Illinois, it's killed by anti-Mormons. When they leave, it's suddenly you can't blame anti-Mormons. There's no anti-Mormons. Yeah. <laughs> so then the statement you see all the time, the phrase you literally see over and over and over is killed by Indians. But a lot of them do get killed. Um, and they also end up like just, you know, nobody really knows where the body is, but they get killed. Wow. Yeah. If anybody wants to have a really fun time on Wikipedia, just find, just look at the Danite page. I just did, I just barely did it with like a little quick scroll through and man. Well, go ahead and read it if you want. Like, I no, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have the entire episode of us just like looking at Wikipedia <laughs> articles. Um, cause you're more interesting than Wikipedia, but, um, so your your family came through the Danites were part of your family history. Yeah, that's why whenever Mormons are like, uh, sometimes I get these little Desnat like, we're gonna kill you. I'm like, dude, I got Danite blood in my veins. You don't scare <laughs> me. But thank you, but thank you for trying. Good try. Have you gotten death threats? Um, I haven't gotten death threats. Well, I guess that is a death threat. So yeah, not not like a lot though. It's just like little punks like saying stuff, and I'm like you're really barking up the wrong tree it doesn't you don't intend so they're so these immature assholes are coming on to like they're shooting you like messages on instagram i'm assuming in the beginning it's interesting though because a lot of mormons i expected a lot of trolls and it's interesting that other people who post things about like their feelings towards leaving the church and not the history they get harassed a lot but i really don't get a lot of mormon trolls i think a lot of them when they realize i have listed the sources i think they just don't want to touch that so they usually just turn interesting around how you, if you back up your information people yeah. all of a sudden start to back off 
because the ones I do get, it's always when I have just shared like some history, but I haven't posted sources. And then I get the people being like, that's not true. And I'm like, oh, dang, I got to just stick with the sources. Cause yeah, I mean, that's probably the best way to go about it anyway. I think so too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, with, with my podcast and stuff too, I, I posting the, the sources is always kind of weird because I usually just like want to talk to someone about their experience. Um, but it's a little bit different just, you know, sitting down and talking with you because of how I got to get to know you, you know, and, and what you're doing on your Instagram and and your social media and everything too. But no, that's, that's so weird that there's like this, this idea that people feel as though they need to let you know how bad you're doing and, and the, what, and how wrong you are. It's, it's like interesting because sometimes people will be like, why don't you just block them? And I'm like, the truth is, I think that they show the world how delusional some Mormons can get. Because, for example, a recent post where I didn't post sources, I was talking about the history of the Freemasons and the you know compass in the square being taken from the Freemasons. A lot of Joseph Smith ceremonies um, were taken. And my ancestor, James's wife, was the first person who sewed Joseph Smith. The garments so i was just talking about garments in general oh no way yeah look so at you I, with your with your awesome you know you're you're swinging around a lot of really awesome energy with your with your ancestors oh yeah i'm sure they're super proud of me right now <laughs> i was gonna say they're probably they rolling around me. in their unmarked graves yeah yeah seriously <laughs> um but yeah so I, I got some i got some posts about that people were freaking out saying that i was talking about their sacred stuff but you know when i would say well what what about the freemasons like it's not okay you're saying it's not okay for me to talk about garments but it's okay for your prophet to steal their sacred things and they're like it was borrowing or sharing and i was like no they got all five of their mormon charters to their lodges revoked and for 100 years freemasons banished all mormons like they were not allowed that was a very insulting yes our sacred ceremony you stole it and they just go around in circles. You're lying. Blah, blah. I'm like, it's there. I mean, common sense. Go Google Freemasonry and square and compass. Like, you know what I mean? Go yeah. Google like hands clasp and brotherhood. Like uh, five points of friendship. Things. Google it. Like it's, yeah. it, it'll come up with the Freemason stuff before it comes up with the, with the Mormon thing. So it's like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I get worn out really quick by that kind of behavior personally. Oh, yeah. That week, my son had pneumonia too. Usually I'm just like, Calm and I'm like, Bleh. but that week my son had pneumonia and I was like, I'm not in America. <laughs> I was I was getting pretty snippy with people. I was like, I'm not tolerating bullshit this week. I'm not. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, good for you. I mean, I think that's sometimes people need to kind of just hear that. You know, they need to hear like, hey, man, you're kind of out of line. <laughs> well, and it's just crazy when you're like going around in circles because you literally can go in circles and circles, and they don't want sources. You can give it to them, and they'll they'll still refuse to look at it and you know I'm like wow yeah no I've I've encountered very similar things just like you know with extended family listening to the podcast and what sucks is that I've asked a lot of my family members to be on and a lot of them have said no a lot of them and then I hear like you know again gossip about how people aren't really appreciating what I'm doing with the podcast and stuff and they're like well have you listened to it well no it's like, yeah. well, then what do you, like, what do you mean? Like, at any rate. That's because it's dangerous. It's oh, dangerous if you, if me sitting down and on a Zoom call with someone is dangerous, then apparently I'm living oh. my life on the edge. I don't know. 
you know it's a cult when you're like sitting there and people are saying that you're dangerous like I literally growing up had been told by Mormons I was I was dangerous like and I'm like I'm five feet tall like how am I dangerous I don't understand but your ideas are dangerous yeah it's Satan whispering in their ear you know yeah so then your family I'm assuming makes a trek across the country right yep with their polygamous wives and underage brides so um yeah they they came out actually James James is kind of sketchy because I didn't think he had any polygamous wives but I recently have found like random names it looks like he did the same scheme as Joseph Smith's dad because there's random uh, marriages like in Tennessee and North Carolina and I'm like I don't know who this person is so he may have done the same thing and married someone taken what they had and run but um, he actually ends up in the records with Brigham Young. He wanted, he was like 80 something years old and he wanted to be married to three 12 year old girls or something like that. There and was he was 80? Two of them were 12 or all three of them were 12, I can't remember. But Brigham Young's answer is really interesting because it's not, no, that's inappropriate. He basically says, I can't marry people the way we have because at this point, this is when the federal government's really cracking down and starting to take Mormons to trial for things that they did, you know, murders they committed a long time ago. And so he says something about like his excuses, they wouldn't be equally yoked together, but it's, you know, pretty telling that the- Well, you said equally yoked together? Yeah, like, so his excuse, his first reason was, I can't marry them like we used to. So he's admitting like it would be totally fine if it was 20 years ago and you're 80 something years old and you wanted to yeah, if you were 60 we'd be we'd be in business yeah what it's ah oh, that's it's so crazy. that's so horrible I know. <laughs> that's so horrible dude yeah. oh my god okay so james wanted to marry some 12 year old kids brother brigham said no yeah the world's watching Gotta kind of pretend to be somewhat decent. Yeah, start a university maybe or something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He they came to Utah. They James started Spring City, which went through quite a few names. And actually, this is interesting. John D. Lee's book talks about more blood atonements happening in a place called Springtown, and or no Springfield. Sorry, and I Springfield, Utah. Though he specifically says Utah, he says in proportion to population, more blood atonements happen there than anywhere else. And I had this really weird feeling when I read it. I was like, I think he's talking about Spring City. But I went to the church, like uh, history, you know, office, whatever, up in Salt Lake City. I they have all the wards that have ever existed. It wasn't in their records, and I'm like, where is Springfield, Utah? It doesn't exist. So a friend of mine was speaking to the director of the Timpanogos Shoshones, and she was talking about how she has a book about Springfield, Utah, and she told him it's Spring City, and he literally wrote me and was like, you were right, it, it was Spring City. So it's interesting because Spring City is the only place um, besides, um, that I know of outside of like Salt Lake City that had an endowment uh, like building. And it's still there, actually. It has the compass in the square. Like, it has, like, all this stuff. And at the time, Grant, Apostle Grant, during the Reformation right before, you know, he's the one who was, like, suggesting we need a designated place to blood atone people. And 
And so it's kind of interesting that the only other place where there's this endowment house is Spring City, Utah, where John D. Lee said, you know, it was Springfield and with blood atoning people. And Spring City is just south of Mount Pleasant. For those mm -hmm. who are listening, they're like, where, where is it at? Um, it's on highway, on highway 89. Um, just yeah. In between Mount Pleasant and Ephraim. Okay. Whoa. So this, so the, do you think that the church like intentionally scrubbed that from their records? Yeah, I do. Cause there's a, a habit that I've seen actually where things get really bad, you know, like Mount Meadows massacre, the, the people suddenly will be like directed to go elsewhere or they flee elsewhere. And then it's just this wall of silence and um, Spring City, interestingly, changes its name. You know, it could just be a coincidence, but it's like four times I've seen four different names within like a 10 year period. They come back, they rename it something else. And I'm like, is this like on purpose or is this like what's going on? Like, why not just keep with the same name it was before? What was wrong with that name? You know what I appreciate about you that I've noticed is yeah. that you never not have a question mark in your brain. Yeah. <laughs> like you're constantly like, wait, what is that? Why is that there? Why is it that way? Yeah. Huh? That's really cool. And that's really awesome. And you should definitely like just jump into the historian life. I mean, other than just doing it on Instagram. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's super admirable, dude. That's so great because at, uh, sometimes I just get question fatigued and I'm just like, I, whatever happened, happened, man. <laughs> but I'm, I'm always like, what happened? Like, I, that was such a yeah. great kid. I, well, I needed more. Like I was like hoarding facts. Like I loved it. Yeah. Made myself happy. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So spring city came through and, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's a way, I think this would be so cool. If you were able to like track your family history to rule in all red and the AUB, because that's my affiliation. Um, so who, cause you told me you were related to all reds. Who's your ancestor? Do you know? I'm related to all reds. I'm not it, like I have all red family members, but I don't have ancestry of, um, all reds. I mean, there's like a few like in there, but like, I'm not an all red, obviously my mom's not an all red. Um, uh, so Jessup is my last name. Uh, the main guy for, uh, for the Jessup line in the AUB is Joseph Lyman Jessup, my great grandpa. Um, and he had slew of kids, bunch of wives, the whole nine. Um, and that's basically, and then it goes into, um, Oh, well, Mary Beth Allred, I think is the name. I would have to call my mom. I might need to call my mom really quick if yeah, you want to, if you want to participate I, in a, I, in a phone call yeah, with my yeah. mom. <laughs> I'm going to check real quick. Cause I think it's Isaac Allred, um, James's brother. If I'm, but I can like check and see. All right. I got to get my Bluetooth friend, hooked up here. She grew up in polygamy and her family's related to the Allreds. And we've talked about the Allred polygamists. Like she wasn't a part of that group, but she, she knows about them. So what, just, what group was she a part of? Um, she was her dad wasn't actually a part of the group. I know right now her mom's a part of the group that's down by Moab. She told me something I had never heard before. She was like something called like a sea bear. And I'm like, what is that? And she's like, there's a specific group. She said she wasn't even sure it was real. She had to ask her mom about it. And her mom's like, yeah, that is true. But her mom isn't a part of that group. But there's a group in Utah where the husbands are not allowed to sleep with their wives, only like a chosen 
leader is called the seed bear and it's supposed to like keep the pure bloodline and i'm like but then they're marrying each other so so like, then what? this is like just basically david koresh in like waco kind of idea <laughs> and i mean it's not just dave koresh but like cults everywhere where they have like no i am the leader so therefore i'm relieving you of your sexual burdens i am taking on those sins for you and that's how they frame it yeah <laughs> what a piece of shit it's <laughs> that's so stupid <laughs> i have a friend whose dad worked in the nicu he still does in Orem, and he's been there for you know like i don't know like 30 something years and she was telling me that he said that the, there's a huge increase right now, like the last 10, 15 years with babies being born with conditions that are related to incest. And I was like, are you saying that the Mormons are like having incestuous marriages? She's like, no. She's like, it's because the bloodline is so connected so many times over that even if they don't appear like as cousins, it's so limited the gene pool that they're, the babies are being born with more. So if you're doing the Provo soak in Provo, yeah. Be careful. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, totally. All right, I'm going to give my mom a call and see if we can figure out, like, our... our uh, we might be related. We're probably Ooh, brother and sister. I'll come to family reunions. <laughs> there you go. That'd be awesome. Hey. Hi, Mom. Um, so, I'm recording right now, and I have a genealogy question. Okay. Okay. Where do... Wait a minute. Who are we talking to? We're talking to uh, my friend Sarah, and Sarah has an Instagram page, um, and so she's not she's not a member of our family yet, but we might okay. find a way that we are related. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I don't know if I have the answers, but go ahead. Okay, okay. so Sarah's ancestors are the Allreds, um, but okay. I'm I'm trying to figure out what, like, where in our family tree do Allreds pop up? Okay. Um, Grandma Linda, we we really aren't, you really aren't tightly related to Allreds, but Grandma Linda, um, it goes back, I think, maybe three or four generations, I think there's a tie in there somewhere. A tie? Tie Allred? Like, no, like a tie in the gene pool. Oh, a tie, okay. Yeah. A tie to somebody... Um, For some reason, Ma Mary Beth is the name that I keep on feeling is the right one. Am I right with that, or am I completely off base? No, you're completely off base with that Dang one. It. All right. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's okay. Sorry. No, you you are not you are not close enough related to the Allreds to call them your kissing cousins. That's for sure. <laughs> the kissing cousins. <laughs> Yeah, you, you're not close enough for that. <laughs> okay, so if I, so if I wanted to marry an Allred, it'd be okay. You'd be safe. Well, yeah, yeah, you could probably marry an Allred. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there's. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. we got to figure it out. If if it's okay, not there, well, it's not there. Well, so who are you visiting with, Sarah? Her is that name what you is, said? Her name is Sarah. She has an Instagram page. You'll, I'll tell you about it afterward. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. I was just trying to make a connection of who you're talking to. <laughs> uh, no, she... Instagram page and Sarah Allred. You know, there's a few of them. So yeah. not Instagram necessarily. Okay. I'll let you go. All right. All right. Okay. I love you. Bye. I love you too. <laughs> well, there you go. So uh, <laughs> uh, my mom is the resident genealogist in our uh in our family just because she's done and she has the like she has this printout of our family tree on like 
both sides and, and everything. It's actually kind of unique. You sit there and you just look at it. I've, I've sat there for hours and just stared at names and dates and, and all that stuff. It's pretty interesting. I love looking at the family trees. They're so I have ancestry.com and I'm like, there's like 1500 people on my tree. <laughs> Cause I just like add and add and add. And then I look into like, you know, other people I like stalking dead people that I'm finding out. There you go. That's kind of fun though. That's kind of the whole point of like sitting down and like looking at history and stuff is just stalking dead people. (laughs) I love it. So I think that, um, I think it's connected through Isaac Allred. So when the church broke off, um, and, uh, Wooly, right. His name is Wooly. Lauren Wooly. Yeah. Yeah. So when that happened, Isaac went to the FLDS, most of, Isaac's family, if I'm correct, went with him. Okay. And James's family mostly stayed with the Brigham Brighamites. Brighamites. Okay. So there, there's something well, I guess there. We're all Brighamites. Sorry, no. So it would be. It would be <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. There's so many groups that I didn't know existed either. Like back in the day, when they called them Brighamites, and they all came out to Utah. Everyone was Brighamite. Yeah, and there was. I mean, there's like we grew up in the AUB. We called it like the group right? Mm -hmm. Are you a member of the group? Um, And in retrospect, it's just kind of a weird little term because if like I've explained that to people before, or they've heard me talk to fair like family members and they like a name comes up of someone I haven't seen since I was in grade school. And I'm like, Oh, are they still a member of the group? And my friends are like, wait a second, the group. And it has like this really weird kind of eerie connotation in their ears. But for me, I don't, it's just, Oh, you're part of the group, you know? Um, But there are so many of the group elsewhere like even back in like kirtland and i mean they had like king island have you heard about king island or uh wisconsin is that it's it's the island in yeah in the great lakes where this guy basically like well counterfeiting and then he was um oh where is it there's a few assassinations um it's one of the uh i think he was an apostle what's his name Gosh, no, I'm oh, now we're just basically floundering to figure out oh, a really Beaver Island is Beaver Island. Yes. That's what it was. Yeah. 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 Not he, King he Island. Went, like he got assassinated there. There's quite a few, gosh, the amount of people who get like killed off that, <laughs> that I shouldn't laugh because it's not funny, but it's like kind of terrifying is why I'm laughing because I had no idea. The um, Strangites. Well, that's who I was thinking of. Who? The Strangites. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Got it. Yeah, it's right in between the upper and lower peninsulas in Michigan. Okay, got it. Anyway, we got that figured yeah, we out. Got assassinated, <laughs> and uh, then there's you know the RLDS. I don't know. I don't think that's what they're called anymore. But they always said that Brigham Young had his cousin Apostle Richards poison Samuel Smith, who was the third member of the church, and he was supposed to inherit. He died less than a month after his brothers, and his death is definitely kind of sketchy because it's very hush hush in the church. Like, it's like, Oh, he died because he was riding a horse really hard back to Nauvoo. And I'm like, how do you what? die from riding a horse? He, well, yeah. And he died like a little more, I think it was about a month later. And Hosea Stout was a serial killer for the church. Um, he was giving him medicine and according to the Smiths, he got poisoned and he died, which is something that, organized crime back then. Back then, there wasn't a way yet um, to, to test for cyanide. It was odorless, tasteless. It was, you know, 
they called it like the inheritance poison because people would fill their families with it. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, Hosea Stout definitely was, I mean, that was, you know, und- it's not even debatable that he was a murderer. His own diary talks about trying to kill someone in the temple. He talks about. Like in the temple? Yeah. He basically, Porter Rockwell was sleeping with a woman who was married to another man and the man was complaining about it because they were living together. Um, and Hosea <laughs> Stout bashed him on the skull in the, in the temple and almost killed him. And he, he talks about it in his diary, like, eh, yeah, I, you know, hit him in the head with a stone or I think he says bounced a stone off his head, but it must've been pretty big because he thought he was dead when he left and like turns out he wasn't. It's funny that you said like, yeah, Porter Rockwell was sleeping with a married woman and that married woman's husband was complaining about it because they were all living together anyway. Like you're just like rifling through like what you know and it's just like, wait a second, hold on. Like they're living together. No, it's it's totally fine. It's totally fine. I'm I'm able to kind of like keep it going and like be able to follow you, but like there's people out there that I know and my buddy Fraser, uh, who's been on the podcast before, he's the type of guy who's like, wait a second, hold on, what? Um, yeah, let's go back then. So, so Porter Rockwell, if you don't know who Porter Rockwell is, that is a rabbit hole that is very, very interesting. Yeah, um, and Bill Hickman. Yes, yes. pillars for the church, the main ones. So basically, Porter was not really a, a good, upstanding Mormon, but they kept him around because he was just this bull in a china shop basically this guy was such a badass in you know in a movie sense uh and he like if you've ever been around in utah and you've ever drink porter's fire the guy on the cover is porter rockwell um basically this guy was just an absolute maniac (laughs) yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it and the rockwells actually knew the smiths all the way back in palmyra they lived like in the early records, Joseph and Porter's father are showing up together. They're doing like work together in fields and stuff like that. So they had a long history. Um, he was already being accused of trying to assassinate people. And actually there's a book called, what is it called? It's like an older book. It's about Porter Rockwell. I had never read it until last year, but pretty early on in the book, he's talking about how there are numerous people that were killed by Porter Rockwell in or around Portland, Ohio back then. Wow. So it's interesting that he was already getting this reputation for murder. Damn. Back then. Even back then. <laughs> but so he was sleeping with this married woman, but he was yeah. living with her too? So the husband, they were married and yeah, Rockwell, a lot of Mormons did this in view, actually the leaders, not other ones, but they would take someone's wife and they would live together and yeah, he was complaining about it and basically like, he stole my wife, he's you know, shagging my wife and yeah, that got him in trouble, so. Wow, that got him in trouble? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's a kind of scary type of trouble too. I wouldn't want anyone like Hosea Stout or Rockwell ever even noticing me. I would not want to be on those people's radar. Yeah, no, definitely not ever. So when you, when you, dip into Mormon history. And you were telling me earlier um, before we recorded that you're like, that Mormon history is like your thing, like you dig it. So what area of Mormon history do you find that, I mean, there's various areas that you can go down. You can go down, you can go down like the, just the typical, you know, origin story, hypocrisy, you know, you know, uh, discrepancies between what actually happened versus, or, you know, 
accounts of Joseph Smith versus what the church says about Joseph, that's an area. Another area is polygamy. Another area is counterfeiting. You know, so what area of Mormon history do you find the most fun for you to research and, and chat about and talk about? I currently, I, I've been doing more about the counterfeiting organized crime, but the truth is, is that I really don't have a preference. The whole 19th century Morgan, Mormon history is fascinating to me. And the more that you kind of do like an overall haul of it, the more that things that you may miss in text make sense. Um, you know, there are things that I didn't understand because I didn't know the connection, like even about James being whipped, like I, I always believed he was abducted. Like, so you, you learn more about the history, about, you know, regulators and what they were doing. And, and then you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Yeah, totally. So I, I really, I think when I went back, because when I left the church, I honestly was like, I don't, I don't want to care about the church anymore. I don't want to talk about the church. I just want to forget I was a member of the church. And then, you know, years later, it was just like this annoying pull because I love history and Mormon history was my thing. I just kept getting pulled back. And so I just kind of got sucked back in. And then I was really finding about like the assassinations and murders and how many people were disappearing. And I was like, what is going on? So that kind of was like the, you know, the rabbit hole I went down. And then it's just sort of extended. Um, the polygamy is shocking i i did not realize that mormon polygamy other groups had polygamy in the states um but the truth is, is that their polygamy was kind of ignored because if you look at mormon papers or any papers sorry not mormon papers but non-mormon papers around 1852 51 you start seeing that all over the country the papers are reporting stories about mormon polygamy and they always almost always are including the words incest and like girls married to girls not women but girls so they use the word um, girls instead of women yeah and you see okay. the word incest they talk about the incest the church doesn't want people to realize that mormon polygamy was very incestuous which is why a lot of mormons have problems the church currently has a huge problem with pedophilia and incest like that is true and they yeah. really kind of hush hush that and i think i think that the history has been interesting for me because when i realized how hard the leaders were encouraging that pushing that using eliza snow and other women as groomers really it's it's really like the maxwell of the mormon church and yeah. i didn't i didn't know this but eliza snow was actually really despised by mormon women who were not supportive of polygamy. Really? Because, yeah, she was a groomer. She'd go around to these towns and encourage these underage girls to marry older Mormon men. And, and you know, she was like the star person of the female side of it, really. But she was really despised by Mormon women who didn't like the system. Oh, and okay. the system was very, very toxic. Like, it is incredible to see. I remember one account in this like Tribune was talking about one polygamous wife who was trying to escape polygamy, and she basically got caught by another wife who went and told the husband. And so then her plan was, you know, blown to pieces. She couldn't escape. She was so angry. She went down and beat that woman in the face with a rock. Like, it got really... What? Like, oh, yeah, my like, God. There are so many accounts. My ancestor's daughter's a different ancestor, not the all rights, a different one, the Bigelow's. Um, okay. They married two sisters. One was 15, Lucy Bigelow. And then her older sister, I think, was 18. 
they married Brigham Young on the same day in the same ceremony. He was like 46 or something. Um, their accounts are heartbreaking. You know, these women get passed around. Lucy didn't, but she did end up leaving the church later on. But her sister was like, you know, she'd gone through like six Mormon men before she was like you know, 25, 26 years old. That was another Wait, she went, she had been married and basically just shuffled around yes, between six men. I had no idea about. Yeah. They, oh, okay. Yeah. They no. Shocking. <sighs> it is shocking to see because I always heard that like they would get married and then stay together, families forever, right? Mm -hmm. But if you go through even like the book, The Prominent Mormon, you know, Mormon Men or Utah Men or whatever it's called, I went through and there are some really shocking accounts of, you know, when you start looking at who's who and you start gathering that information. People are getting shuffled to higher priesthood leaders. So basically there was like this rule that if you were marrying, if you wanted to marry someone who had a higher position than your husband, you could, you could leave your husband. You could do that. You could just do it. You could just boost. Yeah. And, wow. and you see that children get shuffled around a lot too. Like it's, it's really heartbreaking because the children, it's like, wow, these kids, no wonder, I can't remember which apostle said it, but I remember a quote that said, around the turn of the century he said i'm really worried that like the next generation of mormons were raising them to be the worst liars and deceivers and they're just broken humans you know and it's interesting because when you see these families the husband gets a new wife he doesn't see he doesn't see you know the families my ancestor was sarah i was actually named after sarah leduc pope her son was sheriff pope who was the corrupt cop with butch cassidy and Sarah Pope. Holy like cow! You got a you got this. You got webs and everything, dude. I know, like that's every so cool. <laughs> yeah. So his um, his father, Sheriff Pope's father, he abandoned his mother, Sarah Pope, after she had like twelve kids, and he basically said he was going to Salt Lake City to go take some goods, photos, or whatever they were doing. He comes back with a sixteen-year-old bride who's a bishop, and he just like abandons the family and goes and starts having kids with this 16 year old girl and that's kind of you know the the repetition that i see with early mormon history sure it's heartbreaking to see the women will say things like they had never laughed like i remember one polygamist wife saying she hadn't seen her husband in you know years and the first time she had a hysterical breakdown she started laughing the baby started sobbing because the baby was like two years old, but it had never heard her laugh before. I mean, these women are like so miserable. Um, one of the girls that got groomed by Joseph Smith and then was married by Brigham Young, her account I've talked about on my Instagram, her diary was so heartbreaking that like, I, I was literally depressed when I finished I was like, there's a book called In Sacred Loneliness and he quotes it and it's written by a Mormon scholar, but it's so, I mean, he's obviously doing the Mormon thing. He can't seem to see like the sexual predator grooming that's happening with these girls, but it's like right there in your face, you know? And it's so heartbreaking because she's literally like 60 something years old writing in her diary about how she cries every day. She's can't remember the last time she was happy. Brigham Young has, children with her but he will not pay for anything for her not even for the kids she's working like on this farm which um eliza webb later said that that farm was like a punishment for the the wives he hated the most and it would like break their backs and like, like brigham bodies. brigham didn't like his wives and so he sent them off to a labor farm yeah 
pretty much isolated. He wouldn't give them money for like anything, like even um, candles. I remember reading, she said something about like the only clothes she can get, she has to beg for. And they're always like used like two or three times. So it's not just like hand-me-downs. It's been like it's been used and, and it's in the 1800s. So they were very hard on their equipment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So she's begging and, for rags, essentially. Yeah. And he, he was just cruel to her. He wouldn't like, I think at one point there's something about her wanting to get divorced and, you know, he, he just, he treats them like, I, it's, I don't know how any, anyone who really believes in church could read that book, even though it's a pro Mormon book read these women's statements and not recognize that this is truly evil like what he did to these people but it's so cool she's you know her husband's one of the richest people in america at that time not just the utah america yeah yeah and and she's living like that and the children are totally ignored she even said that mormons would feel bad for her and try and sneak her things she needed because they'd be punished if they helped her you know it's it's incredible it was that oh, wow it was it was so so brigham's influence was so pervasive that yeah. he literally did whatever he wanted yeah. one of the richest men in the country and he basically like yeah didn't like him shipped him off to a labor farm and that people didn't want the gossip or the rumor mill to say oh i found it dude this is like nazi germany dude like you don't they were scared to support their fellow person. Yeah. But yeah. since Brother Brigham up on up on Capitol Hill decides, nah, not nah, not okay, don't do that, don't associate with her. So they're like scared that their reputation is going to be tarnished because they're helping someone. Who's or they'll be hurt. Brigham Young was very violent and aggressive. He used people to kill people. So, I mean, they're terrified of Brigham Young. He was terrifying. Yeah. He really, in a lot of ways, he was a lot more terrifying than... Joseph Smith, because once they came out here, this was Mexico at the time when they got here. A year later, it became American again. But they literally were fleeing U.S. jurisdiction and all their, you know, warrants and stuff to get this far out. And and that's why they moved to Utah. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to get anyone to prosecute when you're that far away? Like it's easy to you know bribe a blackmail in the church to do that. There's uh, his actually his son, Brilliant's son, John Young. He, there are letters that he would write to the hierarchy asking for money to make sure that the East Coast um, judges, politicians, and editors would put, you know, in the terms of, or sorry, in the case of the editors, print favorable Mormon articles and ignore the ones that were not favorable. Um, but with the judges and politicians to pass the legislation they wanted passed. So there's quotes, you know, I've even, I have some on my site about him bribing, you know, admitting that they're bribing and blackmailing people. So, so, okay, you're gonna have to remind me again. So how old were you when you left the mafia of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? <laughs> um, I actually left right before I turned 18. I got pregnant when I was 17. Okay. So I, that was kind of weirdly enough, my, who would have ever thought that getting pregnant as a teenager with my ticket out. Sure. But I basically was like, I, I'm not ever going back. And because of, you know, how much harassment, if you're not married and your teenage pregnancy, the Mormon church really does like stalk you down and want you to give the baby to a Mormon. Like I had to threaten the bishop with a stalking injunction. It was bad. So that was oh kind my of my, God, out. Like my parents supported me to get out. Um, well, my mom did not, but my dad did. Okay. 
okay. that was my ticket out. I was like, peace out, guys. Yeah, see you later. Wow. Well, I had said I was going to leave as soon as I was 18 for a long time, so it wasn't like it was surprising, you know. And that was something you told your parents and everything too, like, I'm out when I'm 18, like, I told see everyone, ya. everyone, I hated it. I hated the whole system. I had to do everything. I had to do, like, multiple church camps every summer. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't stand this crap. <laughs> But bringing it back to Brigham Young, but like that, that, so he was basically just the mob boss. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because he does work his wife's like servants. So for example, um, Lucy Bigelow, she ends up leaving. I count, I found in our family history says that she left because when he married his favorite wife, Amelia, she was just like a total, like nasty person to the other women, apparently. And Lucy had been trained as a servant. He, she would have to serve them all the time. So a lot of the women are, you know, basically the reason it got compared to slavery what, if, at that time was because a lot of the polygamist wives in the anti-polygamy standard, which was a paper they started to get their stories out. They're talking about how they're being worked from, you know, sometimes before sunrise all the way to sometimes midnight they have no right to leave. There's no system at the time. The church really fought any like social system, like a place for these women to go if they wanted to leave polygamy. They did it on purpose because then if you left, you would be completely exiled and you either had to become a prostitute or basically starve to death. <laughs> where are you gonna go? There's nowhere, no one's gonna take you in. They're too scared to take you in. Um, there's a lot of accounts I've read where Mormon women, they leave because the husband or the first wife are like whipping them, like really, really horrible things. The wives who whip the other wives? Yeah. Holy. Yeah. Like the favorite one, like sometimes you see that, um, really violent things. And there's accounts where they basically flee and the, like they'll find a Mormon family who will take pity on them, but then they'll end up being sent back because the family gets threatened and they're like, we, we can't help you. Like there's nothing we can do basically. And you can't so, like grab a wagon and like boost back to Missouri. You gotta have three months supplies to get anywhere. And no one's gonna give you that amount of supplies because you're now exiled. Holy cow. Well, and you gotta realize the reason that people couldn't leave is because the first thing that they would do when they got here is they were taken down to the temple um, corral yard and they were forced to concentrate their property to the church. And then the church would say like, you can have this back, but it, Brigham Young says repeatedly in talks, you know, like this isn't, your property like if you tried to leave they came and took it because you already signed something that said you were giving all your property to the church so i mean they literally have no way out a lot of people had no way out so do you think and this is bringing it to more modern times do you think the church still has its finger in like criminal activity other than like i don't know stock market stuff um, well, besides the fact that their handbook does encourage every member to break state law and it's printed in Salt Lake City, Utah, when it comes to reporting, you know, pedophilia or any child abuse, they do encourage the members to tell the bishop, which actually is in violation of state law. That's, I mean, they can you, can you, have, can you expand on that really quick? That's a very interesting point. Yeah. So state law says that if you suspect you don't have to know, it's not your job to investigate or play detective. If you suspect child abuse, any form of it. It is a class B misdemeanor if you do not report it to social services or the police. Um, the Mormon church, however, the handbook says, 
that if you suspect it, you need to tell the bishop. The bishop says, oh, well, don't talk about this anymore. I'll investigate it. Then he gets to play detective. Which Internal is not investigation. What supposed to do. Oh, my God. And then they call the 1-800 line with the attorneys and they cover all that crap up. And it's it's incredible. It's So there is that. There's also, though, I have seen accounts. And I haven't actually looked at the Panama Papers myself, so I can't say for sure. But I have seen some things saying that there are some of these like sub companies that are tied to the church that are involved with the Panama paper, which had to do with, you know, organized crime, financial. Oh, I mean, literally one of the biggest stories to ever hit, but also got swept under the rug so quick. Right. Because there's people who are like, wait a second, the Panama papers. No, everyone needs to know what the Panama papers are because it is absolutely insane on a world on a literally a planetary scale of organized crime yeah and it involves leaders of countries and like yeah uh yeah the world's going to shit i will say that another thing that they do which i read about in the complaint that was filed to the irs was um and at first i wasn't sure what i was going to think about the complaint and i you know because it said that they were guilty of human trafficking. And I was like, well, is this like conspiracy theories? Like, where, where are we going with this? But it's very fascinating. What he's talking about is how the church schemes the Polynesian students into their BYU Hawaii program. They have to work at the Polynesian Cultural Center. The moment they get on the island, they have 48 hours before they have to give over their visas to the administration office, which get locked up in a safe. So they don't even have access to their visas. Wait, they can- seriously? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it gets worse. They have to, you know, most kids go home for school, like summer, Christmas yeah, break. Yeah. These these students don't because those are the times where the center is going to make the most money. So they have to work all the time. If they miss more than I think it was a week of work, they have to start paying the cultural center like they owe them money. And they also tell them to get the wrong kind of visa. So instead of a student visa, they are told to get the type of visa, you know, that like um, nanny program, the international nanny program. So they're told to get the same type of visa that they get. And the reason for that is that if you go on that visa, you can't get work elsewhere. You have to, if you want to stay in the country, you have to stay with the group you're working with. Yeah. And you and have so, to prove that you're still working with them. Yes. Yeah. So they can't leave the cultural center their visas, even if they want to, they're locked up in the administrations at BYU. Um, it's it's just wild. It's like, it's absolutely crazy. They, I was reading some of the things that, you know, that they were doing and I was like, okay, now I get why this is called human trafficking because Because that's what it is. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. people always assume human trafficking is for like sex, but no, human trafficking is like forcing people out of their normal spot for exploit or exploitative purposes. Yeah, isolating them. I mean, the fact they're not even able to have their own visa is really sketchy. I mean, these are these aren't children. These are university students. They're old enough to go to school. They're old enough to watch over their own visas. You know what I mean? Like it's it's really that was really disturbing for me to read that. I was like, this is really bizarre. Another thing they do is they tell them that they will get like a scholarship at BYU, but even if they somehow did get home during that time and decided never to go back. The scholarship obviously is going to be revoked or whatever is a discount. And then if they don't work this like 20 hours a week that they're supposed to at the center, then their tuition gets bumped up. So automatically, if you don't, if you're not showing up to work, you remove the scholarship's gone. It's gone. 
I think they probably make them, I don't know, but I assume, I hope that's not automatically, but if you try to like leave, you know, you're going to lose that. You're going to OBYU a lot. And if you continue to not go, then yeah, it's kind of like if you continue not to pay your tithing, you're eventually going to get your temple recommend taken away. So it's, you know, it's interesting. And I was reading that they say that, you know, during the finals week, you know, Christmas season, most people are needing more time off of work so they can study. These students are being worked over the 20 hours, but what the managers will do is they'll only pay them for the 20 hours that week and then they'll roll the extra hours over onto another week so it doesn't look like they're violating the, you know, the visa or the agreement or whatever. Holy cow, dude. Yeah, so yeah, I would say that like while I can't (sighs) say for certain they're you know, dancing with organized crime, even though they were definitely started on that, I would say that they definitely still um, break the law. That's obvious. You know, that they still have their fingers uh, on the pulse a little bit. Maybe they're not like actually, you know, (laughs) and it's not like they're killing people at the altar at the baptismal font in Salt Lake anymore, (laughs) anymore. Right. I don't don't know why I'm laughing. I'm like, ha ha, no, that's not funny. But I think, I don't think anyone got killed in an altar, but I mean like Brigham Young, I should not have laughed. That wasn't funny. Sometimes I have to laugh at the Mormon history because I'm like, this is really disturbing. And if I don't joke about it, then no, I'm going to like not be able to process. No, you're, you're not offending me in the slightest. It's it's actually super tough for me to get, get offended at this kind of thing because I'm the exact same way. Like I cope through humor. That's the only way I know how. It's what's worked for me. And so like, that's why I make jokes about like, you know, the mafia of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints instead of the church of, you know, so... No, you don't have to worry about that with me. <laughs> okay, good. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry, but that's it's sometimes so, you know, you're going down this ugly hole and I'm like, I have to just kind of joke sometimes. You have to, you have to, or else, heavy. I mean, when you think about it, like if you could, if you didn't do that, like you would be a, you would, you would be like a 60 year old married to Brigham Young. You would be just miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be like, I hate my life. Uh, yeah, that'd be. <laughs> that'd be tough. So here's, here's one question. We can end on this because we've been recording for almost 90 minutes. Um, no, 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 this is not, no, you don't have to apologize. This is like juicy. And I'm going to have you on again, by the way, if you're okay with that. I would that. love to. Absolutely. Yeah, so much fun. Yeah. Um, do you think from your personal experience and the, the, the kind of, you know, hobby that's turned into something a little more than a hobby, maybe from what it sounds like, what do you like about the church? Uh, it's a really tough question because I, people ask me all the time, like, did you ever get anything good out of it? And I try as I know that Mormons think I'm like, oh, you hate, you hate it. I really don't like, I believe in freedom of religion. I'll support it till the day I die. But for me personally, the only thing I can say that I like that I got was sometimes I do think I need a little like food storage, but with booze, like, I mean, it's wise to stock up. Right. So I did learn to like stock up in case of Armageddon. And that's, that's not always terrible. Oh, that's such a perfect answer. I think that's so great. (laughs) But I don't, you know, I don't really have, I wish I could say like, some people are like, Oh, you know, all these things, but the truth is, but all the things I was taught were original to the church. They're not, you know, like, and so I, once I learned that I was like, that's not what makes people even when they're talking about their spirituality you know that's yours that is not limited to the church like you you can have a connection to a higher power outside of the church and it's incredible to see how many people think that 
they can't, that that's actually yeah. the Mormon thing. And I'm like, no, that's a human thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, why do you think there's religions everywhere? It's right. because of that concept. It's the fact that you can have, yeah, like what you said, you, you nailed it on the head. You, you know, having a personal and spiritual connection with a higher power doesn't have to be, you know, close your eyes, bow your head. That's how you know you're reverent, right? And mm -hmm. this little shot glasses with water in them and, yeah. you know, small little pieces of bread you know, that were bought at the grocery store, but it's yeah, all, but it's like prepubescent boys who probably jerked off or now touching. Like I always was like, did you wash your hands? Please say you wash your hands. Sorry. Yeah. Right. So that, really I mean, girls, I shouldn't have said that, but no, no, stop apologizing. <laughs> I used to think it all the time as a teenager. I'm like, did they wash their hands? Like I do not want them touching the bread. Yeah, no, totally. That makes sense. And I mean, if you'll hear it during, if you listen to more episodes of the podcast, but uh, our sacrament ceremonies was not fun um it was basically like so we would have we'd pass the bread first and the bread was always super good because it was always homemade um, oh you're lucky it was super great oh it was awesome great bread yeah. great sacrament bread i mean because you can like rank <laughs> there's nothing better than homemade bread i swear to god That's oh like totally the best thing it smells amazing the house smells amazing exactly yeah. yeah so we would have the homemade bread and that was always great but then we would have um instead of passing like a tray full of small little glasses with water in them, they would have a glass very similar to this one um, that you would, and also here's actually a, a, um, a discrepancy or like a difference between the AUB and the church. Um, if you are passing the sacrament, A, you have to be a priesthood holder, right? So what they interpret that as is that you can't pass, like if you don't have the priesthood, for instance, you can't pass the cup to the person to your left or right because you didn't have the priesthood or something like that, right? So if you were a woman or if you hadn't been ordained yet, that wasn't the case. So in order to mitigate that process, they would hand us the cup, right? And then we would take a swig and then we would hand it back to them. And then they would hand it to the person to our left. And so it was like this bounce back and forth with one cup with a bunch of water in it. Now you think of eating a bunch of bread. And then you swig out of a glass. You have oh. bread floaties. Oh, oh my gosh. That is. And then you would see like little marks of the lips around the rim from oh. people wearing like their lipstick for church or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah dude. It's gnarly. I can't even imagine. Did you know the original sacrament meeting, they used wine? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's something a lot of Mormons didn't know. Like they think it's insulting that like, you know, there's like Brigham's young and all these like jokes about on liquor, you know, all these new companies that make uh, references to the church, but like uh, Rockwell, he had a brewery, like there, a lot of places did Toperville had a winery. They would take it up to, you know, DCMI and they would sell some of it, but a lot of it was used for tithing. Oh yeah, totally. Um, have you been to whiskey street in downtown? You should go because they go. have, um, there's a, I can't remember exactly. Uh, so I'm just on there on whiskey, whiskey streets, uh, um, website and says, welcome to whiskey street. The name harkens back to Salt Lake history before it was changed to main street in 1906. So this is, it's on main street. Um, the stretch of road had been designated whiskey street by Brigham Young himself. Oh. It was a place where Gentiles were able to quench their thirst. Even Mr. Young purchased his spirits from numerous bars and the liquor store for which the street is named. So if you go to Whiskey Street in downtown Salt Lake, there's um, 
they have like, I don't know if it was like a receipt or something like that. They have it framed in like, it's like an itemized receipt and it's signed by Brigham Young or somebody like that. Yeah, they have it in there. Yeah, it's super cool. That's cool. I I just find it amazing. Like, it's like what you said earlier, like the evidence is right there in front of your face. And like so many Mormons, like they can't see it. It's really... It's right. It's right there. It's yeah, so, yeah. It's so easy to find. But then people are like, "No, Brigham Young," because they obviously the the whole idea is that like there he's this hero. It's this thing, and you don't want the hero idea to kind of you don't want that to crumble. Um, well, and I think that's right. Like perfect way of saying it because I used to compare it as a teenager to the game Jenga. Do you know that game? Yep. yep. So, I used to say that like the truth is is that you know the Mormon Church was built on a foundation of lies that were built on lies really and so it's like you you hear one truth even a simple thing like no Brigham Young did drink Joseph Smith drank you know they didn't know that and you start taking up these pieces to the Jenga game and it doesn't take that many out before the whole thing is going to collapse and that's the problem of building faith on lies is because that's why people like you and me are dangerous because even though we're just telling <laughs> the truth me dangerous. <laughs> it's the Jenga game you know like we're we're killing the I, when people tell me you're killing my faith or you're killing people's faith, I'm like, okay, real faith cannot be destroyed. So true. You need true. to think about that. Like what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. There's no. no way if it was built on truth that history could destroy someone's faith. Yeah. If you, if the facts are destroying your faith, your faith isn't founded in really something that's like, you know, the, your foundation. Okay. Here you go. Perfect analogy. Your faith is built upon the, uh, the sand instead of a rock. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. the way it goes. And then it just crumbles away. So I'm always like, I, I understand that the truth like hurts and I'm not you know, trying to be offensive about it when I'm talking about the history. Um, and I know that it like, it does hurt them. So, you know, I'm trying to like, sometimes, you know, I'll be like more blunt, but other times I'm really trying to do it in a respectful way. But I just, it, it never ceases to amaze me how many people will say, you know, that you're destroying faith. And I'm like, it can't be destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> if it's true and genuine, like I could literally, if I know something is real, it, you know, it's not believing in Santa Claus, you know it. And you could sit there and try and gaslight me like Mormons did growing up all the time. Mm -hmm. But I was like, nope, I know too much of history. This, I'm not getting back into this. Like, no, you know it, nothing can make you change your mind, really. And, and if, so it's just incredible to me. If you, There's a difference between, you know, fantasy and Santa and knowing something. Oh, totally. And if there are people out there that are listening to what you're saying um, about, you know, foundations of faith and, you know, the Jenga game and everything else. And we're going to have to have you back on to talk about this because you're the perfect person to talk to about the CES letter. And um, I, I've said this before, but I've never resonated with a piece of literature ever that in that level of intensity have you read it before so no because i actually a lot of people have asked me but i've talked to people and they're like yeah you already know you don't need to. so they're like you oh yeah text. no but i don't and actually know but i do want to read it i've been meaning to so i, I encourage you i encourage about. you to do it i totally um because i mean the thing that i always say about it when people are talking about like when you know when did you know that you were gone or, or whatever i read the ces letter recently as in the like the last year Okay. And I had had this, you know, faith crisis and all this different stuff. Um, and we don't want to get into it because we don't want to burn the content that we can put out for the next episode or whatever. But um, as if you can talk about it, burning content, such a pretentious thing to say anyway. Um, but I read it and basically the guy, the questions that he asks in like numbered order and like all this stuff, 
the questions themselves, I had all, like, I'd always thought about what that was and like had like doubts about it. But the way that he put the words in the order, like my brain couldn't do that. And then it was all like, it just clicked into place. I was like, oh, that's what I've always been trying to ask. And then he it's, goes into the whole thing. So, yeah. That's incredible that you say that because it's incredible how the longer I'm outside the church, the way that I will word things sometimes, even when I'm writing on my, my Instagram, I'm like, why didn't I ever just say it like that? Like, it's so obvious, like something, but it's like, you're so scrambled sometimes in, yeah. your mind and you're in it that like, you can't actually even get to, it's like, you don't want to say the truth. Like, it's like fascinating to see the brain, you know, it is brainwashing because you're scared of, of what you may know or what you're saying, or you're going to be punished or, you know, whatever. Yeah, like, totally. So weird. And then, you know, I say things on this page and I'm like, I've always known it that way and it's more powerful that way, but like, why couldn't I see it that way before? So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. This has been absolute riot and we'll have you on again. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, anytime. I loved it. Thank you so much.